But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have, have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those, who, uh, to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be, you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the Word of God. My decision was, when I was asked to come here, to, uh, to read part of the Sermon on the Mount. So before um, thinking about what is going to happen, because there's a very careful upbuilding in the books about Jesus in the next few weeks, we should also listen carefully to Jesus' teaching, of course. And then the teaching begins a couple of verses earlier in the book of Luke. And when I was preaching about these verses in the Emmanuel Church, I started with a very simple example. I can, I think, repeat it. Let's try to imagine that you are a uh, high school teacher. And um, one day you go out into the school playground and it's time for some sports and gymnastics. Dozens of children are already kicking footballs around and waiting for your arrival. And then after some time you also go out and you go to where they are and you call them to gather around you. And then when every student is gathering around you, you start selecting 11. You don't need to say a word. You choose 11, and then you lead them off somewhere else to talk to, to them a little bit and explaining what's going on. Now, without even saying a word, most of the students, especially in you know, this part of Europe, they know what is going to happen for the next like one or two hours. You have just been picking a soccer team, a football team, right? And you are going to play a game. Then supposing that you and your team um, begin working together to train for the serious games ahead. What are you going to do? You assume that they know a little bit about you know, playing football, at some of the rules may be familiar, but you also want to tell them that some of the things are quite different now. The game has changed a bit. Now, this is pretty much what Jesus is doing when he begins his public ministry in Israel. He goes out, starts picking not 11 but 12, and that means that he is forming a new team, Team Israel. 
And in order to play the game, the students have to learn the rules. And that's where the Sermon on the Mount comes in. First, and I think Pastor Jos has been preaching about that, there is like um, a couple of basic principles. Four warnings and four blessings in order for them to understand what type of game this is going to be. Listen to me, says Jesus. My kingdom is not for the happy few, not for the people in power, not for the people with comfort, not for the people with a lot of success in their lives, but happy are you, blessed are you, if you do not have these things, if you are poor, if you are needy, if you sometimes are being ignored or maybe even persecuted, then you can be part of my team. Then there's a whole set of rules, and I think the selection of Luke's, Luke makes it quite easy for us to understand because you know, Matthew is a much more extended part of, of the Sermon on the Mount. But when we read and when we think about these, these groundwork of rules that Jesus explained to his disciples, the question quickly comes up in our mind, at least in my mind, what type of game will this be? So is this going to work? Right? So try to apply these rules in your own life. That can be quite a challenge. When faced with slander, for example, Jesus says, speak good words. That strikes me as quite a challenge to begin with. How does that work You know, when you are doing your thing on campus or working and someone is telling a gossip story about you. Or maybe some of your friends all of a sudden is sharing information about you which should remain, have, have remained between them and you. Then what? And then I was talking to my children about this and I kind of changed the other example. I said, if someone pulls your hair, let them pull your ear too. So that is quite strange when you think about it, and maybe a little bit funny if, if in a harmless example, which might make you laugh a little bit, but there is great forms of injustice in this world. And when we think about how parents can sometimes um, cause many types of injustice in the lives of their children, break them maybe even, when we think about influencers and coaches, also football coaches, uh, who abuse their power, or when we think about Roman soldiers abusing their power or any type of soldier, and then listen to Jesus saying, love your enemies, be good. Now that is a challenge because being good means that we should do good things. There's a repetition in the last verse about that. It doesn't mean, you know, this is kind of a state of mind or a state of heart that you should think good things. You should do good things to those who hate you. And then, because there's three examples, uh, you sh we should also lend money without expecting anything in return. And I think especially for rich people, this is a very serious challenge. Three themes in Jesus' teaching. I think, I think Luke sums them up quite, um, quite well, very easy to understand. We've been reading them in the last verse. We should love our enemies. We should do good. And we should lend our money 
without expecting anything in return. And when you keep on thinking about these basic principles and these practical rules, then I think most people would agree that one of the instant reactions is that this is not going to work if we really put this into practice, right? In fact, Jesus seems to be changing the rules in such a way that it's a whole different ballgame. This isn't football anymore. And then what Jesus says might still sound very nice or philosophical or sympathetic, but it's not really realistic. It can even lead to, uh, lead to all kinds of frustration if we really want to put it into practice and maybe even extreme vulnerability because especially this example of slapping, slapping someone in the face, if someone slaps you in the face, then, then what? You can be very vulnerable turning the cheek, especially if you're not really a big person. Yet again and again, there's the same type of teaching. And this means, I was thinking, that either something is not right in Jesus' teaching, if we are saying, okay, this is not going to work, or something is not right in the way I'm listening to the teaching and I'm living my life. And, you know, to be honest, I think in my case, the latter would be the case. At best, I think... And now I'm, I'm mainly thinking about my, my own attitude in life. At best, in life, my presupposition is like I, I am in life like I am in this football game. And then, then these are the basic things. The rules are clear. You know, they apply to everyone. We start with a nil-nil score. So we have equal opportunities in life. Whoever puts a lot of effort in the game will probably be more successful and the best man or woman will win. So this is a set of beliefs I think many people have in, in this life and in this culture and in many cultures, by the way. But if we really listen to Jesus' teaching, I think the first thing that he does is that he exposes these beliefs that we may have as a caricature of reality. Because if we think in such a way, then we are wrong. In our everyday lives, for example, the rules are not so clear at all. There are many, many gray areas. And we also do not start this life with a nil-nil score. Some have a way better position than other people, depending to the place and the family you were born. And then, some of them may have a far better chance of winning. And maybe some, maybe many, are not even fit or happy enough to participate. And then, effort also doesn't always pay off. And I think we can all relate to this reality. We can try our best and then we can still lose. And the whole idea that we have to really do our best and try very hard in order to be recognized, to be seen for who we are and for what we do by other people, I think that isn't right either. Real appreciation 
and real recognition of you as a person should always be a free gift. Otherwise, it ain't real. Now, if I'm right, and I think I'm a little bit right, then these teachings of Jesus may well be far more realistic than we, than we were thinking when we were just reading and listening to the Bible reading, and also the other way around. If our beliefs in life are not correct, then we should actually notice this already, and I think we do. Loneliness, that is one thing. Feeling very stressed or burnout. This vague feeling so many people have of unease, for example, or, or fear. And the feeling you may have that you are in fact constantly participating in some kind of competition. That is weird, right? Our circumstances are in most cases better than the circumstances of many of the people in the days of Jesus. But still, we feel that something is off. Something is not right. Something is in fact very wrong. And now Jesus starts explaining why. He unmasks very deeply held feelings and beliefs about, about life. And he shows us how things can be done better. And there's three things I want to proclaim today. And there's one word which I think is very important. And the word is truth. We should know the truth. And Jesus teaches us truth about three things. And these are three simple things, but very important to understand when we lead our ordinary lives. First, first, Jesus teaches us the truth about God, who God is. Secondly, Jesus teaches us truth about who you may be and who I can be. And then, of course, he also teaches us the truth about the other human beings we may encounter in our everyday life. First, there's a very simple truth about God in Jesus' teaching. It is um, kind of hidden in verse 35. If we do what Jesus says, then we will be called children of the Most High uh, because God is good. And I think the NIV translation was God is kind, but these are synonyms, right? It's the same word. Now, God is good. Now, I would like you to close your eyes for like a couple of seconds and try to imagine what this means if Jesus is right. God is good. That means that God is out there to begin with. That's a very important truth. And it means that God is good. And the truth that God is good, in fact, unmasks many of our everyday beliefs about God. For example, that he is not there, for example, to begin with. Or maybe somehow that he may, may be there somewhere. But that he is a very strict referee 
like a kind of video assistance referee, for example. If you're watching soccer now and then, okay, there's a very well-known belief about God. You know, you can't see him, he's somewhere else, sitting, he's watching you. And then, in the end, he will evaluate our lives and our games, right? So that is a belief about God we may have. He's a judge. To judge from a distance what goes well, and then, of course, especially what goes not so well in your life. But now Jesus. And our text says that God makes no distinction between people and men of goodwill and men who are ungrateful or malicious. Matthew 5 has a bit more familiar text saying the same thing. Also the Sermon of the Mount, of course. God makes his sunrise to shine on the good and the bad, and he makes it rain for the just and the unjust. God is faithful. This is the very essence of God being good. He is endlessly patient. He is endlessly giving. Always. Every day anew. He is endlessly merciful. And he is just. Or do we think that the sun should shine here in Delft and not at any other place, says Jesus. Now, even our belief and our idea that God is there to judge, which is also part of the biblical truth about God, of course, very often in the New Testament turns out to be different from what most people tend to think about, you know, how God judges. For example, um, that we need God to condemn what is going on in this world or to condemn what's going on in our lives. In fact, most of the time, I think, I'm not really sure, but I was thinking, much of the time, I don't need God for condemning people or condemning myself because that's pretty much everyday practice in in my life. We already do that ourselves. Maybe not in the most judge Uh, just and righteous way, but still. When we read in the New Testament, for example, in the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 2, he also shows that when God is coming to judge, that our conscience will agree with God's judgment. So in the end, seeing God as a judge will not be a surprise. And then the surprise of the gospel, and I think Jesus is speaking about that a lot, and also the other New Testament writers, is that God came into the life of Jesus Christ, into this world and into your lives, not to judge. And I think this is a much harder message to try to understand and unravel and unpack in our lives. It's it's one of the most familiar Bible texts, right? In in, in John 3, for example, when Jesus is is into this conversation with uh, Nicodemus, he says, God sent his son into this world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. God is good. If we could really understand this message in our lives, that God is good, and that we can trust him, therefore, I think this this will be a life-changing power. Now, Jesus also confronts us, I think, with another type of truth, truth about ourselves. 
And, and the distinction here is that we should, should not think about ourselves as being slaves, but as children, or at least. Jesus says, if you start listening to me and do what I say, then you are a child of God. So you can be a son of God or a daughter of God. That is also amazing. So it's a very important theme throughout the New Testament and also in the Older Testament, but especially in the New Testament. Happy are the peacemakers, for example, Matthew 5. They will be called children of God. And it's such an important motive. If you read through the Bible, uh, for example, in the letters of John and Paul, it is in many cases drawing strength from the message that we can be children of God instead of being slaves. One of the Bible texts that is very dear to me comes from the letter to the Philippians. And um, because at one point it was given to me when I was uh, 20 years old. And, and, and there it says, for example, that, that you may be pure without blemish. Blameless children of God in the midst of a wicked and depraved generation. So what we can learn about being a child of God is different things, of course. But I notice that in my, also in my church, being a child is mainly picked up as a, an element, a lesson of trust. You can be confident because you have a heavenly father. But here I think, and I think this may be more, even more important in the New Testament, uh, being children comes with, comes with a, a message and comes with, comes with assignments. So you can do what the father tells you to do. And if you are a ch- child of God, then it also contains a very serious element, as serious as a child, a small child can play. Because I think there, is, there are not, not so many things more serious than watching a small child playing. Have you ever been watching a child like two, three, four years old trying to build something? He or she is not doing that because, because of the reward. But still there is a seriousness in trying and playing and building. And so we can be children of God. So can we try to be serious in growing up, becoming an adult, picking up hopefully in our lives also the trust because our parents loved us and that enables us to dare to make mistakes as well because when we grow older, making mistakes is often terrible and many of us can't face, can't face this. But imagine that you are a small child and that you have loving parents and I know that's not like for everyone but hopefully for many people it is, then a a child will will make mistakes, a lot of them in fact, and that's okay. That's how he or she can learn to take responsibility. Not because they earn something as if they were slaves, but because they are children. That is also what I learn when I'm couple of days or hours a week I'm teaching like high school children and they have become a little bit too big already and then when they are like in the first grade I can give an assignment and if it's fun they will cooperate and we will have a lot of fun but when they are like fifth or sixth grade 
And when I give them assignment, the first question is, okay, do we get grade for this? So what is the reward? And it's always, it's always the same discussion with these, with these children. I, and I think you're all, you know, adults, and we all suffer from the same disease. Listen to Jesus. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You can be children of God. I've learned also a little bit about this from Anselm Grün. Have you ever heard about the German uh, Benedictine father? He's a very well-known writer of spiritual books. And he kind of showed me or taught me to also love, try to love the enemies within myself. So I, I know that Jesus is not speaking about that uh, in the first place. But it can also be very helpful to think about it like that. Because if, if you have like anger, sometimes I see people walking around with a lot of anger. Um, or with a lot of insecurity. And sometimes it shows you know, from the outside. You can see it. Or sometimes I see people who are aggrieved, annoyed with something. And then it is possible that there may be something wrong with your beliefs about yourself. You actually think that you deserve better, for example. Or you are very strict to other people because, in fact, you are very strict to yourself. You don't allow yourself to make mistakes, to be a child. You despise other people because you may despise part of yourself. And then, knowing the truth about yourself, that when you listen to Jesus, you can be a son or daughter of God, it has a lot to do, of course, with the, the second commandment. Jesus gave it to us. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. It's very important. If it goes wrong, then the lessons of Jesus remain very strange, maybe even dangerous. And I think the most helpful example is trying to explain how this works with the slapping on the cheek. I think maybe you have, you have ever heard this explanation. When someone uh, slaps the other person in the cheek, on the right cheek, I think Matthew explains it a bit, a bit better. If someone hits you on the right, right cheek, and I, if I would be standing um, opposite to you, and I would try to hit you on the right cheek, I would do it like this, right? Most people are right-handed. And so um, that is an insult or a penalty for a slave. If, if he or she does something wrong, then the master can call her or him and he can say in front of everybody, uh, this is a penalty, right? And then Jesus says, in fact, if such a thing happens to you, by the way, then you are a slave, like following Jesus, suggest offering the other cheek to the person who is hitting you. And now I'm trying to hit you on the left cheek with the same hand. I can't do this, right? Because that's very impossible. So I have to use my full hand to do that. And if I slap you with the full hand, that hurts. But it also is a recognition of you being not a slave, but a human being. So this is the whole context in which Jesus is teaching his disciples. When you offer the other cheek, you're actually saying, I am a human being, like you. 
I am a son, I am a daughter of God. And so we can disarm the other people with the conviction that every person is made in the image of God. This has nothing to do with not loving yourself, as you may understand, on the contrary. Now the most important thing, um, Jesus teaches us truth about God in a very simple way. Truth about yourself, but also truth about the other person. And um, he or she is also a human being, created in the image of God. Whether they recognize it or not, everybody shares in the same dignity. And now it gets exciting, of course, because Jesus is very often talking about how we should interact with other people. And now you have been listening to me as a pastor saying, God is good, and you think, whoa, that's a great idea. God is good. And then I'm also saying, if you listen to Jesus, you can be children of God. Whoa, that's great. But now you walk out church, you go home, or maybe you go in town, and then you meet this other person, um, and then somebody asks you for help once again you know it's not going to help anything you start getting frustrated and the other person comes up to you and he criticizes you for your work or for your looks or whatever and then you have been listening to me saying God is good and you can be a child of God and whoom there you go and then it's all gone In Dutch, we have like a saying, wie goed doet goed ontmoet. I think I can translate it quite literally. Whoever does good will meet good. So that is a, a very powerful saying, but um, usually it's untrue. Of course, when you do good things, you will meet good people at surprising places and times. I think I really believe that. But there's also a lot of misunderstanding. There will be a lot of opposition if you do good. And yet it is very important, even crucial, to continue the line of the truth about God and about yourself to the other people we meet in everyday life. Because otherwise, how will the kingdom of God continue to find its way in this world? Let me... I've been preaching about this a couple of weeks ago in the Emmanuel Church, and then I was talking about this brother, and he, he gave me some practical advices, um, and I think I can repeat, repeat them uh, to you. And these advice, they, they have everything to do with how to interact with other people. It's very important to begin with, to take into account, if somebody is like, criticizing you, for example, what you know, but also what you don't know about people, because... You know, often we don't understand the other person because we don't know most of the things about his or her life. Loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, means loving a stranger. It's very important to take this into account. It requires a, a lot of modesty and curiosity and patience. Secondly, try to distinguish between the person and the act. I think this is also a very important thing. So, for example, a person doesn't coincide with his actions. Sometimes they may end up being, but that is for God to decide. We can think, for example, 
if someone was lying about something, we shouldn't call him or her a liar. That is a very important thing to remember. Three, try to distinguish between the past and the future. And this is basically the same thing, of course, because there's countless times in which Jesus reminds us that people deserve second, third, fourth, or maybe even more than 70 chances and opportunities. And when we think about them ourselves, it can be quite a challenge. Even we would like to give new opportunities to our children, for example. Even sometimes that can be a bit difficult. We would like to give new opportunities to our friends and relatives. But now Jesus is challenging you and me to give opportunities anew to your enemy. Fourth, and I think this is the most important thing, do something. So this is all about faith. Do the right thing. If there's one thing that always strikes me listening to Jesus in the Bible, talking to people, it is a non-compromising you know, character of, of what Jesus is saying. This is not philosophy. Christianity is not philosophy. It's for everyday practical life. So the question, how often should we forgive, for example, it's not a question like, okay, let's talk about that maybe a lot of times and then, you know, facing your enemy or this relative or this other student. And then the answer is, once again. How much should we give? As much as is needed. So it's not a theoretical question listening to Jesus. And of course, sometimes there's limits. If you don't have anything... <clears throat> then you can't give anything. But that's okay. Try how far you can get. And then the more positive, and let let me close with that, the more positive advice is, is that we can learn from the Word of God when we encounter difficult people or people who may find us difficult, of course. Often it's the other way around as well. Speak in your heart Words of blessing. I think that can help a lot when you face difficult conversation, difficult encounters. You can say, you don't have to say it aloud because sometimes, you know, maybe professor will think you're weird, but you can say, the Lord blesses you and he protects you. And you can pray, Lord, please make your face shine upon this person. Speak good words when you open your mouth. And maybe you'd, at first you want to confront people with what is wrong. But then first try to find something to build up in the conversation. Give compliments, maybe, once or twice. Refuse to complain, also when you are among each other. I think that is a very powerful advice. Refuse to gossip. That is a destructive force. Refuse to express indignation all the time. There's lots of people doing that. And the power coming from that is disastrous. Rather, try to bring it all to Jesus. He can take it from you. And then be good, be interested. Try to figure out what needs to be done. And pray for the other person, because often that is the last thing that is on your mind. And maybe we can start by doing that. Let's pray.
Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your healing lessons. They feel to us like oil or ointment on a dry, shriveled skin. In these times, when people, when we are so quickly to judge, judging ourselves, judging other people, maybe even judging you. Dear Father, restore your image in us. Make us strong and confident in your word and in your truth. And then we pray that your love may flow into us so that we too may be able to love our enemies and to bless those who curse us. To heal what is broken. To give where there is a need. And here, Lord, you are in a very deep way and in a very generous way, good and kind. And that's why we ask you, you are so incredibly gracious. Amen.